Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, another set of inner squad scrimmages here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 21 of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. First up, we've got Chalk Talk. Greg Cosell is in studio once again, and I asked Greg, what is it like? What do you have to do when you want to watch the tape? A lot of fans want to want, uh, want to ask what do you do first? What are you looking at? Are you looking at the safeties? Are you looking at the quarterback? What exactly are you looking for when you watch the tape? So Greg and I dive deep into that theme, so that'll be an interesting conversation. Uh, after that, we've got two technique, Miles Austin on a go route, and actually it's, it's interesting. We did the interview before Sunday's game, and then his one big catch came on a go route. So uh, Miles Austin talking about the go route was an interesting conversation. Then finally we close it off with Saturday scouting, talking some college football with Eric Galco from OptimumScouting.com. So uh, before we get into all that, it's time to welcome in my favorite guy in the room, for sure, especially this week now that there's more than one of us here, uh, BT, uh, as I welcome in Brian Thomas. What's up, BT? How you doing, sir? Doing all right, man. So uh, you've you got to finally got a day off yesterday with the players' day off. F- so. Felt good. One down, you know, one game down, sure. three to go. But the uh, the first one always can be the the most daunting in terms of uh, just getting all the setup and prep ready. But now it's kind of just following the bouncing ball. And like I said a couple weeks ago, BT's the the big shot. He's the big shot in the preseason no, no, games no, no, for the no, truck. No. So w- when you're in when you're in the truck. Are you able to even pay attention to what's going on? Do you have any idea what's going so on? So everyone's talking about Tebow's touchdown. Right. Like my aunt doesn't remember anything. He's like, I know Tebow scored. And everyone's like, oh, did you see what happened after the play? And it's like a touchdown happens in the truck, and it's like fireworks go off. So this thing's happening. This sponsor's about to get you know brought up. So I have no idea like what happened in the game. I know the kind of the big splash plays. Kenyon Barners had two touchdowns. Tebow scored. Matt Barkley looked decent. But – can I tell you, like, a reaction, a uh, celebration, anything that happened now? Well, it's good that you say that because if you do want to find out what happened in the game and you do want some analysis, you can go on to PhiladelphiaEagles.com and go check out the Eagle Eye in the Sky article is back this week. Uh, I got posted Monday night, and it's I broke down 18 or so plays uh, from Sunday's win, and, you know, we touched on – uh, the rookies and the slot cornerback position. A, a bunch of those guys made a lot of different plays. I uh, covered Tebow's touchdown run, so you can see how all of those came to be in the Eye in the Sky column this week. Didn't you hit on some uh, some stuff with the Ravens, too? And, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, the Ravens coming in this week. Uh, I'm excited. There are a few guys that I'm excited to see. Brashad Perriman and Max Williams were two guys that I liked in the draft process. Some guys from the Senior Bowl, too, right? That's right, yeah. And they've got uh, Nick Boyle, the tight end from Delaware, is going to be here. Local guy. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, Carl Davis, the, he was a, I think he was a third-round pick for them. He dominated at the Senior, senior Bowl. Bowl, he was I mean, one of the best was, players there. He was, he was unbelievable Senior Bowl. Yeah, the, the nose tackle from Iowa. And then uh, Zadarius Smith, I'm excited to see. A lot of people, he's getting a lot of buzz because they lost Pernell McPhee to the Chicago Bears. Yep. A lot of people see Zadarius Smith as a Pernell McPhee kind of guy. Right yep. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch. So really, really excited about that. And if you do go on and check uh, the Eagle Eye in the Sky column, it's a new format, new vines as, as opposed to GIFs. And, uh, you know, let me know what you think because I'm, I'm interested to see how uh, the users ingest that from now on. But, all right, let's get into the thick of it here with Greg Cosell. My favorite segment of the week, it's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. 
Here again on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, my good friend, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, it was the uh, the first week of the season where we got to sit in the studio together and watch the game this past week. Obviously, it was a big Eagles win. You're not taking too much out of the game. Obviously, it's a preseason game. Right. It's week one, right. so we didn't see too much of the of the big-time players here uh, for the Eagles and the Colts, but... Uh, it brought we we started a conversation and talked about uh, you know how interesting it is in the off season for us. For, you know both of us you know do a lot of draft study and, wa- and watch a lot of these players. And in that period of time, we're focused on players when we watch tape. And as we get closer to the season, and obviously the season for all the work that we do for Eagles game plan, and then for you for NFL matchup, we start focusing more on scheme and the transition. So I kind of thought you did this piece uh, for Yahoo earlier in the in the summer where you talked about the different things you look for when you're watching tape. And we've gotten that question actually on this show as well right. as the Eagles right. Insider podcast. What are we doing when we watch tape? So I figured that would be a good discussion for you and I uh, today on Chalk Talk. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned because when you watch college players, you know, we're looking at, at, at the individual players. Now, you, you try to put them in some context of scheme, but you're really looking for individual traits. Yep. Uh, but you do have to think of scheme because certain guys might be better in a 3-4 or a 4-3. A corner might be... Better, a better zone corner than he is a man-to-man corner. You know, I think there are certain things you do look for that relate to scheme. And through the preseason in, in uh, football, I think you look mostly at players. You're looking to evaluate players. Right. Uh, and you're 100% right. Once the season starts, and this is one of the things I love about football, is I love schemes. I love the tactics. Uh, you know, and I've been asked an awful lot, what do I look for when I, you know, put on a tape? And it's it's... In, in some ways, it's an easy question. In some ways, it's a tough question because I've been doing it for so long. So it's no longer a conscious thing. I, you know, I don't put the tape on and go, OK, now I'm going to look at where are the safeties or what are they doing on offense with personnel? I don't consciously think about that. Just I'm sure you don't either right. at this point. Exactly. And, and of course, as we both do, you have to watch plays numerous times. But I would say. And maybe it's because I spent so much time with Ron Jaworski. I've worked with Phil Sims. I've worked with Mark Malone. I've worked with a, a lot of quarterbacks. And I've also spent a lot of time with offensive coaches through my career. I see the game initially from the quarterback's perspective. So when I look at a play, my eyes probably go right to where are the safeties. Because the safeties are either going to be split safeties, meaning there's some form of two deep safeties, or it's going to be a single high safety. And the way coaches talk about this, if it's single high, they'll say the middle is closed. And if it's split safeties, they'll say the middle is open. Right. So my eyes would initially go there. That would be the starting point. And it's, it's interesting, and I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent because obviously we, we started rolling here. We could have a whole discussion oh. about the uh, really the, the joining of – when we're watching draft prospects, how important it is to kind of keep scheme in perspective as yes, well, and how, yes. especially you know, with quarterbacks and safeties and corners and uh, line. I mean, you can go on and on of all these different positions, but yes, I mean the the safeties. I I didn't learn from Ron Jaworski and and from Phil Sims and some of the big names that you have, but uh, the guys that have taught me how to look at tape and and, and learn about the but game. You've learned from coaches. Coaches exactly. know, you know, it, it's the yeah, and it's I not a matter from, of the big name. It's guys who know exactly. And those were they were former quarterbacks, right. offensive players. So I kind of see it the same way. Where you know, looking at what what is the shell? Is the is it a cover two shell? Does it look like it's a single high look pre snap? And then I, we know. Once this ball snapped, it could be a completely right. different look. Well, and the other thing that goes along with the safeties is then my eyes, I think, naturally go to the corners because the corners, 
you want to see if they're up and press type position or you want to see if they're off. And by off, we mean six, seven yards off the receiver. Right. And that tells you other things as well. And then my eyes sort of go to the front seven. One of the things I learned early on is there's always a tie-in between fronts and coverage. Sure. But my eyes will then go to the front because you can always get a feel from the alignment of the front six, front seven, front eight, if there's a safety up in the box, as to whether there's uh, an alert for blitz. You can, and, and again, this is something you just learn over time. You can tell by the positioning of players. You can tell by sort of their body their body positioning as well. And you get a feel, okay, is there a blitz alert here? Is there a blitz indicator? Yep. And obviously quarterbacks have to learn that stuff too. And you see you know, a lot of those blitz indicators may come just from alignment of yep. players. So if you see uh, a slot corner or a safety that's rotated down into the slot and you see him lining up inside of his man, uh, leaning more towards the, the quarterback and more towards the ball, that may be an indicator, hey, he's, he's coming on a blitz. You made a great point there, and I'll tell you something. When, when you have three wides and there's a slot corner, if you see a safety lit right stacked behind oh, the point. slot corner. And I don't mean right behind him in the sense he's a, he's a half yard behind him. But if he's basically in a plane right behind him, maybe five, six yards, that's a really good indicator that the slot will blitz. Sure. Because you have to say to yourself, why is that safety there? He's not there just because he feels like lining up there. He's there because he's going to play coverage on the slot receiver because the slot corner is going to blitz. So there's certain things as you watch film over time, you just notice, you recognize, and you get a feel. And you know, sometimes when I'm watching games on Sundays at home, and I'm not sitting there taking notes and charting, you know, I just enjoy watching the games like everybody else, but maybe just because I've been doing this for a long time, there's certain things I'll immediately see. And I sit at home because I actually like to watch the games by myself. And I'll, you know, I'll be sitting in my TV room and I'll say, they'll blitz. You know, and my wife will say, who are you talking to? <laughs> and I'm just, you know, just because I see it. You know, I see the position of a player or two players. And I just know from experience that, hey, a blitz is coming. Right, exactly. And you, you look at all the different things that defensives do that, uh, you know, in terms of the secondary and the alignment, and you talked about the front seven and different uh, indicators there. Offensively, do you find yourself looking, okay, you know, what kind of concept could they be running? Yes. Uh, what kind of run scheme could we see here? You know, how cognizant are you of the situation each, each and every play? Do you kind of go through and say, okay, it's second and ten, uh, you know, it's 12 personnel. Okay, what are we kind of looking at here from a personnel Absolutely. standpoint? And, and you learn, and that, that takes a lot of time, and I would say that 10 years ago that was probably not in my mindset yet because, uh, you know, you go through a whole ev- – evolution sure, of, of watching and learning and that's why i love going to the combine having great conversations you learn and learn and learn but you know there's certain things now offensively you look at we had we saw this yesterday and you made a great comment we saw a play in which the the wide receivers on first and 10 at a base personnel had what we call minus splits tight splits they were closer to the formation right and right away you think if it's first and 10 at a base personnel the first thing you think of is shot play right and by shot play we mean that it'll likely be play action with a deep drop with maximum protection maybe even just a two receiver route and these receivers are going to run you know some form of combination route where one runs intermediate and one runs vertical and it usually takes them across the field which is why the splits are tighter because they have to get across the field quicker so you just notice things like that. So when you talk about situations, first and 10, anywhere between the 40s. 
Right. You start to think this could be, especially base personnel, you start to think this could be a shot play. They're going to attack deep. And you're not right 100% of the time. It was the, the play that you brought up when I said that yesterday was an inside run, and it went for like three yards, and we said, okay. Second exactly. Time, so no, nothing no. happens 100% of right. the time, but you just start being aware. You know, you start watching coordinators because ultimately in the NFL, coaches coach against other coaches because all coaches have patterns. And it takes a real long time for someone like me, obviously, in the coaching fraternity. They know automatically because they're really studying coaches. But I, you learn over time. You learn there are certain defensive coaches that if an offense gets two first downs on a drive, the next first down play, they're blitzing because they're tired of, of the team moving the ball on them. Right. So you know on that third, first, and ten, you're going to see a blitz. You know, you just learn certain things. And then obviously all the different kinds of blitzes. And you, know, you uh. talk about like the what Todd Bowles likes to do in terms of AAA got pressure and what uh, teams like Greg Williams uh, and what he does in, in St. Louis now right. uh, with zone pressure and Dick LeBeau. And Mike and Zimmer with absolutely. the AA gap. Yep. Exactly. You know, which you see, you know, you mentioned this to me yesterday. You know, I, I'd been asked on a radio show about teams being vanilla in the preseason. And I said it's not a matter of being vanilla. Teams practice what they do. Right. So I've, I've actually watched – already both Vikings preseason games on defense, and you're seeing the double-A gap looks. Now, he's not doing everything off of those double-A gap looks that he'll probably do during the season, but this is what they do, so they have to practice it in the games. Right, and it's funny. Actually, now that we're talking about this, uh, there was a comment that Chip Kelly made uh, before this past preseason game. Uh, he was asked about how they would use Tim Tebow. Are they going to do his own read? Are they afraid of showing anything? And he said, well, I don't think it's a secret that everyone knows we have Tim Tebow. We're probably going to use him in the zone exactly. read. So we're going to use him in the zone read. You know, that we're going to right. try and use him in those situations. See, I think what happens is teams practice their basic principles and concepts. Then when they get into the regular season, there's variations and wrinkles off of that based on the nature of the opponent. But they still have to practice what they're going to do in live action. So if you're a team that's, you know, Rex Ryan, I guarantee that Rex Ryan, and, and I haven't gotten a chance to look at that tape yet, I guarantee he's going to blitz in the preseason because right. he's going to blitz when the regular season starts. You can't all of a sudden, week one, turn it on like it's a water faucet and say, okay, now we're going to whip out all our, our cool, sophisticated blitzes. You have to practice them. Right, and then when you look at teams that uh, are reportedly undergoing changes scheme uh, schematically, you think of a team like Pittsburgh Steelers with right. Dick LeBeau moving on. Mike Tomlin uh, seems to be putting a little bit more of his influence with the cover two and things like that. They're not just going to wait till week one to no. run cover two. I mean, they're going to be running it in the preseason. They want to get quality reps on tape. Exactly. So it, I think when people talk about vanilla, it's, it's vanilla in the sense that there's no game planning specifically for opponents, but, you know, Let's jump to offense, for instance, okay? And this relates back to what you look for in offense. When I watch offense, particularly pass plays, and this is why you have to go back and look at plays numerous times, I'm always intrigued by route concepts. Me too, yeah. That, that I find fascinating because you don't specifically know what a defense is going to be when you call a play. You anticipate based on film study. You know, based on film study, you probably believe, hey, seven, you know, you the numbers are all worked out through the week, so, you know, because obviously you can't clutter your mind or your players' minds, but everything's worked out during the week so that if it gets to a certain down and distance situation, you pretty much have five plays that you're choosing from. You don't, you're not choosing from 50 plays. Right. You're choosing from five plays. Yeah, we talk, and we yeah. talked about that last week. Exactly. They, they fit that in the game plan. The master playbook for a, a team you know, is going to have a ton of these plays, but when they put it in each week, you're going to whittle right. down a situation and personnel and things like that. If it's third and long, you're going to have 
three, four, five plays you're going to pick from. And I think one of the coolest things in football offensively is, is route concepts because route concepts uh, normally, you know, it, it, they can involve a lot of things, but normally you have at least two, often three receivers, and sometimes a fourth, maybe on the backside, that's involved in a concept. And I love how teams get to the same yep. concepts because when you watch film of all the teams in the league, no one in terms of route concepts is is reinventing the wheel. Right. All the route concepts end up being the same when it all plays out. The the fun for me is how they get to those concepts. Right. What personnel do they use? What are the formations? Are there shifts? Are there motions? Are they doing it off uh, play action? Are they doing it with the quarterback and the shotgun? That, to me, uh, is what I look for when I watch tape. And, you know, you need to go back and forth a few times. Uh, and this relates back to when you watch quarterbacks in college. You try to get a feel for what concepts they're asked to, to execute. What concepts are part of a college passing game? So are these quarterbacks being asked to execute concepts that will then apply to the NFL? Or are they not being asked to do that? And that's why a lot of people say college quarterbacks are not ready to play in the NFL because they're not familiar with any of these concepts. It's, a, it's interesting that you bring that up, too, that these concepts, a lot of them, they're not, they're not new. They've no. been used for years and years. Maybe before it was called a 9-6 you know, concept, and now people will call it something different. Right. You know, every team kind of has different names for it. Uh, and it reminds me, I, I produce a piece during the season called Old School All-22, where we go back and we look at uh, great plays in Eagles history or interesting sure. breakdown plays. And I looked at a play. It was the 1995 wildcard game. Uh, Eagles beat the Detroit Lions. The Lomas Brown game. Was that the 58-37 game? Yeah, it was the blowout. Right, exactly. I was here. I was, uh, in this, I was at that game. All right, well, so Rodney Pete hit, uh, hit Fred Barnett on a, it was a 30, 40-yard touchdown. It was a snag concept. It was right. a, you know, and a lot of people call that spot snag. You know, basically what you have, you have an in-breaking route, you've got a route to the flat, and you've got a deep corner. Uh, just a triangle read for the quarterback. And I'm like, oh, this is a, 1995. Right. Here it is. It's a, it's a snag route. It's a route that pretty much every team in the NFL uses today. And now you're looking 20 years ago, and it's obviously was still uh, being used at a pretty high level. Yeah, and then there's different concepts in terms of, of what you're asking your quarterback to do. And this is something I've learned more and more of over the years is you'll hear the term a lot now, pure progression. Uh, and what that means for a quarterback is – He's not specifically reading the defense or a defender. So what you have is you might have three routes in the progression. You know, his primary, his secondary, and his third. So he drops back, looks at number one. If the throw is there, he throws it. If it's not there, because... For whatever reason. For whatever reason. Right. Then you move on to number two, and then your footwork has to go with that. So whether you take another one step back or you have to turn your, your feet, because your feet always have to move with your eyes to be effective. So he looks at number two. If that's there, you throw it. If he looks at two and for whatever reason it's not there, you look to three. He's not reading a specific defender per se. Then there's other route concepts where, based on the anticipated coverage, you are throwing off a specific defender. You hear the term high-low all the time with route concepts. Right. And often you can get that with cover three. And you can read a specific defender there. Uh, you know, so with cover three, very often you'll see a, a corner post kind of concept or a wheel post kind of right. concept to one side of the field where you can read a specific defender. So, but the pure progression concept, you're not reading a specific defender. You're having the quarterback go one to two to three, 
and he just throws it based on who who's, he feels is most open. And you talk about the moving the feet. We talked about that you know, ad nauseum, it seems like, when we're talking about the, dra- uh, the quarterbacks in the draft. And you look at guys uh, you know, that were able to do that at a pretty high level. What that means necessarily, and you talked about it, imagine a five-step drop. When they hit that fifth step, Read number one. Is he there? Okay, now they're stepping up. Now there's a hitch. On that second on that right, first hitch right. step, now you're looking to your second read. Third hitch step. Okay, now right, where's the next right. read? That, that's what you mean by if it's not there, that's where I'm stepping. That's where the timing aspect comes in. Well, the one thing, and, and I learned this very early on, is the depth of the quarterback's drops, whether it's three-step, five-step, seven-step, that has to be in sync with the depth of the receiver's routes. Because when a quarterback's ready to, let's say it's a five-step drop, very common five-step drop, which means ideally you want the ball out in 2.1 seconds. That means the routes have to work in sync with the drop. So when the quarterback hits his back foot in a five-step drop, he has to have, based on the routes, somewhere to throw the football. Now, whether it's two receivers who are available or whether it's the primary but he has to have somewhere to throw the football. Right. And so the, the depth of the receiver's routes has to time up. And, and this goes back to Sid Gilman, basically, when he started with this, with the timing anticipate, anticipation pass game, which really before Sid Gilman didn't exist. And that's why he's called the father of the modern-day pass game, because all those similar principles still exist, where the, the depth of the quarterback's drop must time up with the depth of the receiver's routes and that's when we talk about press coverage and how you're disrupting the timing of the passing game if that press corner is able to delay that receiver by a second oh now by, the quarterback a, a millimeter yeah. of a second when the right. when the quarterback is is at that drop and he's looking for the receiver to be there he that receiver might run the dig but if he doesn't run it in four seconds and he runs it in six now you know he's obviously he's out of the progression he's gone he's got to, he's right he's out of the play right and with young quarterbacks especially because they tend to play a little faster till they get comfortable, if they don't feel like it's there right away, they, they're gone. They, they're, not, you know, they're not waiting. The more experienced you get and you learn your receivers. I remember talking to Sterling Sharp about his relationship with Brett Favre, and he, you know, as he played more and more with Favre, and Sterling understood clearly that you've got to make your quarterback happy. You know, he learned how to get open within the context of how Favre drops and sees it. So even if his route called for, let's say, you take eight steps and then break, if he felt like, hey, based on what the defense is doing, if I had to take six steps and break, I'd take it because then Favre's ready to throw it. And if I'm not ready to receive it, he's not going to throw it to me. Right. What was the hardest part as you uh, started watching tape and started on the NFL matchup show? What do you think was the some of the hard? And obviously, everything's hard about it, and it takes a lot of time. It's not something you learn right. overnight. What were some of the hardest parts of you know getting to where you're at at this point? Pass protection and coverage. Yeah, because pass protection, you you know, there's so many different kinds, and there's so many different wrinkles, um, and very often you don't know if the center is making a protection call three seconds before the ball snapped. Right, which happens a lot in the NFL. Uh, so you really have to learn protections and, and, and basically the, the general concepts of protection. And then you have to try to figure out the specifics. But I can remember through the years, very often we wanted to do film pieces uh, on a given play. And let's say the O-line would get beat. We didn't feel comfortable doing the play unless we called a coach. Because we, we, we certainly didn't want to be 
critical of a player if he didn't make the mistake. Right. So protections and then coverages over the last seven, eight years, as you well know, there's so many hybrid coverages now. You know, zone and man concepts that are built into the same coverage concept. And you sort of have to get a feel for all that. And again, that could also be team specific and and game plan specific to a certain opponent. Yeah. And we we talked about coverages last week and the the basic versions of them. But, uh, you know, towards the latter end, we talked about there's different hybrids and sort of quarter, quarter, half and uh, uh, quarter, half, half. And, you know, there's lots of different variations. But then also you talked about it, the different man concepts inside the zone cover oh. it might be cover three all the way through but it might be that the corner to the boundary is going to play pure man in. yeah exactly right. you see that a lot seattle is a team that does a lot of that and more and more teams do now where it's really a cover three call which is his own concept right but richard sherman w- will actually play man to man if he's playing the boundary wide receiver right and so he plays man technique and he, he it's still technically cover three. More and more teams are doing that in the league now. Yeah, and, you, and when we say man technique as opposed to zone, a lot of the times this is one of the first things too when I'm looking I'm trying to decipher the coverage. You're looking at that cornerback's hips and you're trying to see, okay, what are, what are the, the guys closest to the line of scrimmage doing? If he's got his back to the sideline, okay, now this is, this is most likely a zone coverage. Correct. It's cover three, it's quarters, something like that. If he's in man and he turns his back to the quarterback, now you can say, okay, there's right. man. Right, But, uh, you know, even within different – coverages like for instance let's say you're technically playing a zone concept but sometimes if there's seam routes you might have an underneath defender run with the seam route even if it's a zone concept because otherwise no one is playing the seam yeah you know it, the, I, I hate to cut you off this this happened in the in the game yesterday the play where eric rowe uh, came back and forced the fumble. Right, it was a, a three deep, three under blitz uh, where you had you know you had six guys in coverage. It was a five man pressure, and Eric Rowe was one of the three deep defenders. There was a crossing route over the middle. A linebacker stepped up, and there was nobody in the middle of the field. Eric Rowe played in. Tra- he he said, "There's nobody right, in my right, side of the field. Right. I'm going to run." So a lot of people said, "Oh well, Rowe made a great play, but he he got beat on the play." Not that he didn't really get beat on the play. He was just he was overlapping right. in zone coverage and trying to make a play. Well, it's funny you say that because I was fortunate enough to spend quite a few years with Rod Rust, who uh, is well into his 80s now, but he was a defensive coordinator in the NFL for many, many years. In fact, Rod Woodson in his Hall of Fame speech gave Rod Rust a ton of credit for early in his career teaching him about NFL defense. He actually was the head coach at North Texas State, I believe, when Joe Green was there back in the late 60s. Okay, wow. So Rod Rust has a great pedigree, and he's taught me so much about defense. In fact, he's viewed as the man responsible for creating the quarters coverage concept. Interesting, okay. And he said that one of the best ways for offense is to find out about coverage is you attack the seams. And then you find out how defenses are really going to play because you can't let people run down the seams cleanly, you know, because that's a problem. So, you know, that's why I was just saying that you find out a lot, you know, there could be a zone concept, but if someone runs down the seam, just because a guy runs with them doesn't automatically mean it's man to man. Right. Exactly right. So in closing, for the people out there that are asking, oh well, you know, what do, what do I do to watch film? And uh, we've talked, and we've talked in the past. It's not something that you can necessarily do, you know, once no. a week for twenty minutes before you go to bed. Uh, what, where's a good starting point? I should say. Well, maybe it's just the way I am, but I think you have to try to find someone who you know. And this is fans, I guess, can't do this, so it's. 
but you have to really learn. And, and now, I guess, with the internet and books, you can read. Yeah. But you have to learn about concepts. Right. Because otherwise, if you're watching, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. In every zone, there are voids, correct? Right. Otherwise, exactly. everybody would play the same if zone. It was perfect zone. Right. Yeah, exactly right. right. So you watch enough tape, and what you'll see very often is, you'll, not very often, but you'll see it, is a receiver catch the ball wide open. And immediately a fan will say, oh, they blew the coverage. Well, they didn't necessarily blow the coverage because there are route concepts that if the quarterback has enough time in the pocket, will break down every zone and receivers will be wide open. Right. So you have to understand the concepts of coverage when you're, if you're going to watch tape and be interested in this, you have to understand the concepts of coverage in order to really understand what you're looking at. And I would say the same if, you, if you're interested in the pass game. You have to have a feel for route concepts because it's, it's more than just receivers running individual routes. That happens sometimes, obviously, but there's concepts by which teams get to certain things. You have to understand those. So... I think that if you really want to do it well, I mean, if it's not just a little hobby that you think is cool to watch a little coaching tape because it's now available, I think you have to try to learn the game a little bit. Absolutely. Well, Greg, uh, once again, thanks you for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We'll talk to you in here next week. All right, Fran, thanks. It's great to have Greg back in studio once again, Brian, and uh, he'll be joining us here each and every week from now until the end of the season. Uh, B, how are we doing on iTunes? I know that this is a big thing now. We're trying to spread the word, and we're trying to keep this podcast going. Are people listening to your detailed instructions here? They are, but you know, we you know, the more the merrier. We need people to to rate us, to like us on iTunes. That'll help us, you know, in terms of promoting the podcast and moving it up on, in the rankings and liking us on Stitcher and Podbay and wherever you tune in, you know, app. I don't wherever you guys consume this stuff. Just give us your feedback, and I, I think a. Uh, we had a user this week say they like two technique. That's something new that you added to uh, Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. So um, that stuff helps us, you know, be able to rate in, in what we do and, and kind of give you guys what, what you want to hear. So uh, just give us your feedback, good or bad. Yeah, I, I love it when people, uh, you know, are trying to support the podcast and they tweet it out and they post it on Facebook. Really the best way to do it, go on there, rate it, leave a comment. That's the, the best way best to support ways, it. Right? Absolutely. All right, so we had a user comment saying they love two technique. Their wish is my command. It's time for two technique. Let's get to it. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. All right, here now with Eagles wide receiver Miles Austin. And Miles, we're going to talk about the go route and really some of the subtleties that uh, go along with running. So I, I think a lot of fans just think, oh, yeah, it's just running down the field you know, in a straight line. Obviously, there's a lot more uh, that goes into it. First off, just talking about when you're lining up pre-snap and you see where the corner's at pre-snap, if you know you're running a go route, what are, the, what are some of the first things you're looking at in the corner? Um, I think, you know, it goes to one with the play callers. So what if I can take an inside release or, you know, sometimes you, you have to take a mandatory outside release, which you would have to set up a certain way. But if I can take an inside release uh, and my corner's playing outside of me, you know, there's different things you could do. You can widen, slip. If he's playing inside of you, uh, you know, maybe you can press him down in really hard like you're running a, like a super shallow route and then pop back out of it. Um, you know, you can slow play it and then, and then make a move. I mean, there's different uh, things you can do, but I think it depends for the most part on what the play is and uh, how much wiggle room, you know, no pun intended, you have, you know, 
to run your app. Sure. So there's obviously there's lot, there's lots of different factors that play into how exactly you're going to execute it. Uh, so now once you got into the route, uh, you're even with the DB. Are there certain things you're trying to do to create positioning for yourself to you know put yourself in a better position uh, to catch a ball over your shoulder? Um, I think any uh, receiver coach is going to tell you you know to stack, which uh, which means basically putting yourself over the defensive back uh, if you can. Because by doing that, it slows him down and it, and it really allows the ball to get put in a place where he has to go through you to go get it. The ball should be thrown on your outside half. Um, also, you know, if you're running up and he's ahead of you or even with you and you can't stack him, that'll tell the quarterback probably at that point, you know, if you have a good quarterback, to, uh, to basically just fire it right, at, right, at, right behind the cornerback's head because he'll still be fighting to get on top of you, cause, which is why you haven't stacked him yet. And then you'd catch the ball behind them. So I mean, there's, there's, you know, different ways to kind of get the ball, depending on how the secondary part of the coverage is. And then the last thing is just the the placement of where exactly you're running the route. A lot of coaches talk about uh, holding the red line, and you know, I saw that at the college level. Uh, is you know, you see a practice field, you'll see that little dotted red line between the the numbers and between the uh, the sideline. What exactly does that you know refer to, and you know, how is it that you try to uh, teach yourself that for you know for the time uh, for when you use it in the game? Uh, red line is like you said, six yards in between, directly split between the numbers and the sideline, but. Like I said, you can get to it different ways. You can, like I said, jet inside, make them overplay you inside, and then you can get back out on the red line. You can widen and then slip back inside on the red line. It also depends on, like I said, what the play is. If the inside, if there's a seam being ran on the inside or if there's like an over being ran on the inside, then I don't have to get as wide maybe. Or, you know, so there's different ways and different positions you can uh, get into with the go route. That was some great stuff there from Miles on the go route. I talked about it in the column this week, but I really think his size is going to be a huge contributing factor to him making the team. And I love the idea of having that veteran presence around for this young receiving core. Yeah, I'm really excited to see him uh, on the team. I mean, it was a great job watching him stack that, that cornerback and really kind of create that space and, and make a really nice catch on, uh, on Sunday. So I'm excited to see kind of where he fits in on, in the wide receiver core. BT, you know, I've had a lot of people reach out through Twitter in the past uh, couple of weeks and say that this is the first podcast that they've ever subscribed to. How's that? Really? How's that make you feel? Really? It makes me feel good because people actually are listening and taking to what we're what we're giving them. Well, if you're listening to this on the Eagles app or on the website and you like what you hear, it's really simple. Just go on your phone, go to your native podcast app. It's on every smartphone, so you, everybody's got them. Go and just search Eagle Eye in the Sky. You hit subscribe, and now this show will automatically download to your phone each and every week, and you can listen whenever you want. It's amazing. You listen in your car. You listen at work. Whenever and wherever you want, and while you're at it, go and subscribe to the Eagles Insider Podcast, the College Draft Podcast with Ross Tucker. All we do on that show is talk about college football and the NFL Draft, so if you're into that, go and check that out as well. BT, you were the one that turned me on to podcasts a few years ago. I haven't been the same since, so go check it out if you like what you hear and and go subscribe. Podcasting is a great, great way. Just love it. Just love podcasts. Absolutely. So, all right, we're going to wrap this show up like we do each and every week. Let's talk some college football. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Joining me this week for Saturday Scouting, one Eric Galco from Optimum Scouting. You can follow him on Twitter at Optimum, at Optimum Scouting. Uh, he does some work from the Sporting News. He does some work for a number of different franchises. Eric, how's it going, man? 
It's going well. It's uh, the harder training camp season for, for me, so scouting hasn't come full force yet. But thankfully, once the game starts in preseason, it's back to, back to scouting for the season, of course. No, no question. But you have been able to get through some guys. And uh, one school in particular you've put, paid a lot of attention to. Uh, we will see them here in Philadelphia in person this season with uh, Notre Dame coming oh, yeah, to Temple, take on right? the Temple Owls. So uh, let's start at Notre Dame with the Fighting Irish. The number one prospect I think that a lot of people are talking about right now, especially on the offensive side of the football, is Ronnie Stanley, the left tackle there for the Irish. He almost declared for the draft a year ago. Uh, what are your thoughts on Stanley? Yeah, I watch a lot of Notre Dame. Um, I actually stop at Notre Dame when I'm on my, on my training camp travels. But, uh, but Stanley, he was an underclassman last year that you were not talking about. Um, and you thought, you know, he's the left tackle of Notre Dame, you'll, you'll get a look at him. But certainly by mid-November, it's going to get a lot of hype around around then, and I think he showed that he's a capable left tackle. I think the game against Leonard Williams kind of is kind of the point of last year that he showed that he can play all types of defensive linemen, but he's his feet are, are fantastic. He's consistently in the right position. His only issues, if they are even big issues at the college level, are, you know, just as he finished with his hands, is he violent enough to kind of take on those power rushes that are also good athletes. But in terms of positioning, in terms of his footwork, and getting out on the edge, protecting the inside, not losing leverage battles. He does an awesome job of that. He's really a technician as an offensive lineman. Plus, he has athletic ability and size to, uh, to be an elite left tackle prospect. Yeah, I thought that his athleticism w- was what surprised me the most. You know, and, uh, you know, after watching him, there were times where I thought, yeah, he flashed, really, he flashed really, really good technique. And then there are other times where you know, maybe his pad level would raise up a little bit, his hands would, flash, you know, would, would float outside. Uh, so I'm, I'm really interested to see, can he become more consistent? But I, I like Stanley. I think Stanley can turn into a very, very good player. Well, the biggest thing, too, is that he can win with athleticism or technique. On yes. Case, and that's what's so deadly. And, and we put it together, and he still has another year of college left. He's still working with, with a great offensive staff in our name, and then he's going to be a high pick. And although we've seen you know, highly touted offensive linemen early fail, um, Fisher and Jokel in the what, 2013 draft, that was a notable right. example. But sure. I think you can kind of rest your head on the fact that he is a good athlete and he's you know, has, has flashed technique. I think, I think in terms of his footwork especially, he can get to where he wants to get. It's a matter of finishing there technique-wise or whether it's physicality-wise, but he can get to a lot of plays because he's athletic and because he has those quick feet initially. And that's why I think it's, it's so exciting to have a left tackle prospect like him. I think him and, and the kid from Ole Miss are the two top guys for sure right now. Yeah, Tunsil. I, I know you haven't necessarily gotten to the juniors yet. A little bit. Yet. A little bit Tun- Tunsil is, t- is a special talent. His, his athleticism for the left tackle position uh, is rare. But let's, let's look on the other side of the line of scrimmage there for the Irish, uh, a guy that I know you're a big fan of, Sheldon Day, the defensive tackle there for Notre Dame. What are your thoughts when you watch Day? Yeah, I think he – two reasons I like Day a lot. One, I know what he is. I know that he's, he's going to be a guy who can help a lot on setting up linebackers on blitzes, be a great interior guy who can help on stunts. He's going to finish tackles around the line of scrimmage in the running game. He can take on you know, two-on-one blocks uh, well enough. I think at Notre Dame especially, I got a chance to talk to him a little bit too – I wouldn't say frustration because he's too nice of a kid to be frustrated, but I think he, he wanted to be highlighted more as a pass rusher. Didn't get the chance to do that at, uh, at Notre Dame yet, and he'll be a little bit more this year. But his, his production is going to be against him. Um, his production, and he's listed at 6'2". He's probably closer to 6'1 and a half, um, if that. But he's, he's a three technique who I think has more pass rush ability than he gets kind of credit for at the college game because his, offense, his defense doesn't ask him to do that. He came into a defense where he's working with – the Stefan Tewitz and Lewis Nix and Kaepernick and Lewis Moore, and he was going to we're going to that role into a five-tech, three-tech type hybrid role, and then a new defense comes in uh, the last two years, and his role's completely changed. He's more of a, a guy who sets up linebackers, who sets up the rest of the running game or the pass, pass rush game, and that's kind of hurt his productivity, but I wouldn't count that against him. I think he's a solid athlete. I think he's a guy who can f- he's got to finish in the backfield more often because he's not going to get a lot of chances this year, but in terms of 
were just for that defense. He does an outstanding job in doing the small things a defensive tackle needs to do, especially as a three technique. And I think he, he can fit in a five technique role, but as a three technique, especially if he gets a chance to kind of just get those one-on-one battles at that college level or the NFL level, I think he'd be a solid pass rusher too. Yeah, I definitely saw him as a pure three technique. His yeah. ability to, uh, to come off the ball uh, and win early in the down, I thought, was, it was his strength. Yeah, so. he hasn't got a chance to be a pass rusher yet. Exactly. So hopefully, I, don't, I don't think hopefully he will, but he told me he maybe will, but I think for the most part he's going to be the same type of role. So the classic production thing will be against him all year long, but I'm not going to hold that against him entirely because it's not his fault. And I, I like that you got to talk to him. So as a, as a guy, you know, because we all know that uh, six months from now, character and all those things, those terms are going to start yeah. uh, get tossed around. What are your thoughts on Sheldon Day as a kid? Yeah, I mean, first off, I'm not a person who records the interviews because sure. that just gets you automatic answers. So whenever right. I, you know, whenever I talk to him and he's getting automatic answers about working hard this offseason, I kind of change the subject because that's not worthwhile. But um, no, I think he's the, the biggest thing I want to get him is, is the football stuff, and I think he he gets his role, he gets what he could have been, he gets the locker room situation, he gets the leadership thing. I, I you know, he's roommates with Ronnie Stanley, picked his brain about him a little bit, um, and, and how those guys interact. But I think he, he's the only guy. That's already a captain on the team. Everyone else is kind of fighting for it. Brian Kelly's basically already named him a captain Whenever year he doesn't really do that. Um, so I think that kind of shows that he's, he's truly like an automatic leader in that team. Um, and that was a big plus. But I think overall he just, he just kind of gets it. He's a natural, easygoing guy who understands his role in the defense, understands what he has to do, understands how he needs to get better, most importantly. Um, I know our buddy Josh Norris does a great job, too, in asking these guys what they have to work on every year. And, and kind of going to day, I don't have to ask him. He knows what he has to work on. He knows the, the ins and outs of the game and, and you know, finishing that at the line of scrimmage, getting his opportunities um, as a pass rusher. So I think he gets a lot of those things. So thoroughly impressed in talking with him. I've had a lot of dud interviews, and he was certainly not one of them. So I, I liked Sheldon Day. I really liked Ronnie Stanley. I loved Jalen Smith on tape and just his ability to play sideline to sideline. Uh, the range that he showed for the linebacker position yeah. was – very, very rare in my eyes. But then also the ability to play in the box and you know and come downhill and take on a guard or a fullback or a tight end, shed them and make the play. I mean, he is, has the ability to be a complete linebacker. What were your thoughts when you were watching Smith on tape? Yeah, I mean, it, maybe it's just because of recent draft bias, but I think, man, he's a better Shaq Thompson. Um, and that's what I think is so exciting because he's – maybe not the, I mean, he's Shaq Thompson uses safety because he was smaller. But I think in terms of like what Thompson did flashing-wise – um, Smith does that and more and with better size. Um, he's, I mean, he's 6'2". He's not like an elite level size guy, but I think his, his ability, like you said, the range, but also the ability to finish inside and, and play with those instincts to not just evade blockers, but to move his shoulders, to play low, to dodge leverage, to be able to stick in the hole and finish tackles in the hole. You know, a lot of linebackers can, can block up the hole and, and make that different direction. He's a guy that can sink low enough to keep offensive linemen from getting both hands on him and, and finish plays um, even when traffic and even after being engaged. So certainly linebackers that can do that and play on the outside are super valuable. So I think he's, he's the leader of the defense. I think could be very strong this year as long as they kind of come together. I think that position group overall in this draft is going to be one of the strengths because you've got Reggie Ragland down at Alabama. You've got uh, Miles Jack out at UCLA. Jack, of course, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of love is being thrown. And I, I'm not 100% on in on this guy, but uh, Sua Cravens from USC. Yep. Uh, there's a number of these off-the-ball Arizona linebackers. Uh, uh, that's right, Scooby Wright, who we actually talked about last week on the podcast. And just, you know, again, his instincts, his ability to tackle and, you know, and play downhill are great. Athleticism might be a question, but uh, the that position is – not lacking this year, whereas in years past, it's kind of been yeah, slim pickings. I, think, I mean, Lonnie David just got paid. And, sure. And he's, he's, you know, undersized compared to those guys, but he gets, on, he gets paid despite being an undersized linebacker who has a lot of range. Shaq Thompson, despite all of his concerns, he's a first-round pick. I mean, teams aren't shying away from these guys. So, 
not that linebacker is kind of in vogue again as a first-round option, but I don't think we'll see a shortage of first-round linebackers. In the past, it was kind of, you know, find your Penn State guy and plug and play those guys. But now I think teams are open to say, hey, these linebackers make a huge difference, even undersized guys, even more athletes and linebackers. I think Jalen Smith is going to be the best of both worlds. He has a size as a top-10 pick, and he fits a role in the NFL that teams want now with, with spread offensive, with read option, with more coverage responsibilities at linebackers. He can do it all. All right, so let's, let's talk about one more school. Uh, I know a school that you've done some work on, and, and you've got a couple prospects uh, that you want to talk about. Leonte Carew, the wide receiver from Rutgers, uh, who's a senior this year. What have you seen from Carew? What are you expecting from him this fall? Yeah, I'm not sure what his role is going to be in the, in the Rutgers offense or in the NFL. I think he's built more like a slot receiver, but he plays outside. He did really everything for Rutgers. And despite being undersized, he's not a small guy. He's very built. And the best thing about Carew is that as a run-after-catch guy and as a route guy who sets up his routes, he's so quick and instinctive in where he wants to go next. And he does a great job, especially at the college level. You don't see this too often. But setting up his route with his eyes, with his shoulders, so, so well. And for a guy that's already that quick, if he can set up his routes at that level – he gets instant separation in college. I think he'll get that in the NFL level, too. So I'm curious what he measures in at. That's going to be a big issue for him. He's, he's not necessarily a deep burner. Maybe he'll run in the 4-4s. Four um, he's not going to have great size. But I think in terms of getting that separation, the key, the key word for receivers, especially in, in three or four wide sets, I mean, he consistently does that with shoulders, with quickness, and with vision. And after the catch, he's outstanding as well. So I think in terms of being a complete receiver, I'm not sure where he'll end up in this class. Obviously, receivers are hard to peg because of the size and the, and the combine testing. But right now, um, he's probably one of the top senior receivers because I know what he can do, and he's going to be an impact guy in the slider outside. Yeah, I, I think uh, I would agree there with Carew in terms of uh, especially the, the lack of explosion. I definitely yeah. didn't see that on tape, uh, and I would agree. I think he's probably more of a mid-4-5 guy as opposed to a 4-4 guy. Yeah. Uh, the last guy I want to talk about, Darius Hamilton, the left tackle yeah. for uh, the Scarlet Knights. I know you're a big fan of. Uh, what have you seen from Hamilton? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of reason to be bullish as I am. And maybe I'm being a bit too optimistic <laughs> about uh, you know, what he's going to do this year. But At least born, you admit it. That's good. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a five-star guy, and I've been to a lot of Rutgers games. Living in the Philadelphia area, you don't go to a lot of games because not a lot of local places anyways so it's it's temple games which past couple years have not but Rutgers has a lot of talent the past couple years and Hamilton especially stands out when when you're there and especially against the big 10 teams they faced last year um, which wasn't a great year for the big 10 overall but certainly a better class of offensive linemen and he's he's a quicker than more explosive guy he's a pass rusher who hasn't produced as much as you'd like Um, I think a lot of that has to be he's he's over line on making that devastating pass rush move and hasn't driven guys back one up unlike Sheldon Day you mentioned before he doesn't always win the first two steps off the line of scrimmage but the talent is certainly there Um, I know I think he was a four or five star prospect he's from the state state in state his dad playing the NFL um, he's, he's got the bloodlines and the athleticism to do it, and there's flashes last year in a couple series consecutively or a whole game, a Michigan game. Uh, he flashed a lot when I was at that game too. And, you know, especially for defensive linemen, pass rushers, it's just one season that can blow up. I mean, Nick Fairley is the best example of that. You're going from nothing to, you know, having 10 sacks a year and you're a first-round pick. I think Darius Hamilton has every reason to be that. So it's a preseason. It's, it's the season to be optimistic on draft prospects because we have – nine ten months to go until it happens but uh but he's one of the guys i'm uh, maybe too bullish on but athletically flash wise he certainly has the talent to be a, a three technique in the nfl eric awesome stuff man i appreciate you joining us here in the studio here thanks man yeah it's uh it's great we'll catch up with you later on this fall and especially down at the uh the all-star games here in january because oh, yeah. with every month that gets by we're one month closer <laughs> to st pete beach so yeah uh thanks again for joining us here on the eagle eye in the sky podcast thanks, man.
Thanks to Greg, thanks to Miles, and thanks to Eric. And thank you so much to all of our listeners, whether you're on iTunes, whether you're on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Wherever you're listening, thank you. And if you get the time, go on, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, shoot me a question. I want to hear from you guys and keep all of you happy. So wherever you listen, give us a rating, leave us the comment, and we can keep making the show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.